Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can find uh, James, the epistle of James, chapter 5. This will be the last week in James. Uh, it's been an interesting journey through this uh, letter. Um, uh, I have read several times now in studying for uh, preaching out of James that the best way to preach out of James is to read the letter all in one sitting. Uh, that it was really meant to, uh, as most of Scripture was really in the New Testament, it was meant to be digested all at once. And it doesn't take long to read, so maybe this week uh, in your devotions, uh, you could set out to read all of James in one sitting. It'll take you maybe 10 minutes. Uh, that won't take very long, uh, but it's a, it's a great little letter. But today we conclude it, and uh, I'm getting eager, eager already for next week's sermon, which will have us back in the Gospels, so you can be ready for that. But for now... James, chapter 5, starting with verse 13. Are any of you suffering hardship? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? Well, you should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human, just as we are. And yet, when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then, when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I just want to have a conversation with you this morning, just, just real quick, because this morning uh, I really don't intend uh, to preach in the manner that I'm probably known for preaching, though, as you know, and as I know, along the way, I'll probably get fired up about something. <laughs> Uh, as the Spirit leads. This morning, I want to teach about prayer, um, so I want, I want to do a little bit of teaching. Now, this is, be patient with me, because I'm not naturally a teacher, but this is just kind of where I was led in my preparation, so I've got a PowerPoint and the whole deal, all right? And I don't, PowerPoint, I don't, uh, <laughs> if, you, if you watch The Office, uh, PowerPoint, but I don't, I don't use PowerPoint very often, okay? Uh, so just be patient with me, but before we jump into all of that, let's just have a conversation, and if no one answers, that's okay. And children, if you would like to respond, that's fine. But in the reading of Scripture this morning, I'll, James, what common theme popped out to you? Prayer. That was pretty simple, right? What does prayer mean to you? prayer mean to you? Anyone want to dialogue about that? What does prayer mean to you? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Say, say it pretty loud. Direct connection with the Heavenly Father. Yeah, yeah. What does, what does prayer mean to you? Yes, Asa. It means talking to God. Now, what does it mean to you? Not how would you define prayer, 
What does prayer mean to you personally? What does prayer mean to you? Anybody want to jump in on that? Yes. 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 Yeah, if you can't hear Deb, she's saying a, a prayer is a place of rest, even a place of anguish can be a place of anger. It's really, Deb, what I'm hearing you say there, it's a place where you can go and be. Now, Joshua, what does prayer mean to you? I think I heard you say that it means talking to God. Is that what you said? I think you're not wrong, Joshua. I think you're right, man. Yes, yes. Um, I feel like it's critical for us to spend time on what might feel like an elementary subject, prayer. I think all of us could probably say right now, without doubt, prayer is important to do. But I think it's critical for us to turn our attention just to exactly what it means to pray. And so I want to talk about three things this morning. I want to talk about the importance of prayer. And then very, very importantly, who? Who is it that we pray to? I want to talk about the character, the nature of the one in which we pray to. And then last but not least, and I hope it doesn't take us long to get here, okay? That's, that's me saying, I'm going to try to power through this in quick time, okay, Charles? Got an important baseball game today. Go Cubs. The third, <laughs> they're trying to clinch today. The third thing, what prayer does to a community. So I want to talk to you about the importance of prayer, who we pray to, and what prayer does to a community. Now, in the importance of prayer, the three major focal points of James' letter comes to a culmination right here in this passage. First, it's in three different ways in which we are formed. The whole book is leading to this. First, the formation of the way that we act. I think what James is reminding us here is that prayer forms the way that we behave, transforming our behavior from an act of favoritism, which we saw in the second chapter, which he encounters some churches that make special way and special seats for the honorable people, but keeps the dishonorable people in the back. Have we all been, you don't have to raise your hand, but y'all been to a church that paid, maybe it was this one, I hope not, but paid special favor to people of privilege and put people of disprivilege elsewhere? Or maybe even asked people that weren't in the privilege to not be present? This is not just an America problem. It does happen in churches in America. It also happened in churches that James was associated with. And so I think one of his, his, his first, his, one of his first points he's making in his entire letter is that true faith, faith formed in the life of Christ, man, it will change the way you behave. It will form the way we act, transforming us from behavior of favoritism to selfless compassion, the last verse of chapter 1. Do you remember what it says? This is true and honorable faith. What is true and honorable faith? Ministry to widows and to the orphans. 
absolute opposite of the people that are favored. James is saying that when we pray, when we're formed in faith, it is not just something that we do in our closet separate from real action. But prayer has a real effect on those we associate with and those we gather with, those we serve and those we talk to. That real faith at work, true, genuine faith at work will transform us from being a community for the privileged to being a community for the underserved and the disenfranchised. Well, one the second point. So he's talking about the formation of behavior in James. He's also talking about the formation of our tongue, right? Do you remember Pastor Megan's sermon? The tongue has the power. It is a tool that could be destructive. But if you have anything to sing praises about, right? If you have anything to be joyous about, if you have anything to be joyous about this morning, then use your tongue to do what? To praise God, yes, So transforming our tongue from a destructive tool to an instrument of praise. I mean, just pause here for a second. Could you imagine the tongues of your coworkers if they were saturated, (laughs) not in destructive, hateful speech, but instead saturated in communities of prayer? How do you think prayer transforms our language? When you spend time, Deb, with God in that sacred place, how does that change the way you speak? My goodness. I long, I long to hear people that are saturated in godly speech. Third, the final thing that comes a culmination in this passage course, James is talking about the behavior of the way that we act. He's talking about the, the way in which we speak. And then the third thing here is the formation of our compassion and inclusion. Being transformed from a gathering, from a place of privilege to a place of worship. The very people in which we gather with the very people in which we belong to speak of the inclusion of the kingdom of God. It ought to be a place of diversity. It ought to be a place where the poor are welcomed. It ought to be a place where not everyone looks like us. See, the very people that we gather with ought to speak to the compassion and care of our Heavenly Father. So what does prayer do? What does prayer do to a community? What does prayer do to a person? Well, it will transform the way you behave. It will transform the way you speak. And it will transform whom you gather with. So is anyone sick in this room? Is anyone need prayer? Then gather the elders of the church. Bring them together. In that culture... It was probably more common to take the sick and put them in a place where others couldn't get to them so that they wouldn't, yeah, it, it, it wouldn't come out on you. <laughs> but what is James saying here that's so countercultural? 
He's saying, I know a community that's been formed in the healing ways of my Savior. So is any one of you sick? Then come. Let's gather people. Not put you in a, not put you in a sick community away from others, but let's get you into the church. One of the, one of the few instances in Scripture where the word church is used. Let's gather the elders of the church and let's get around you. Let's pray for you. All right. So what we see, what we see is that the power of prayer has the unique and special capacity to bind human and divine activity together. Now I know y'all, listen, I'm not, I'm not blind. I know when I don't spit and speak in stories, it's hard to follow. Okay, that's why you got a PowerPoint, right? Okay. But the good news is this is we're 50% way through the slides, which hopefully means we're 50% of the way through the sermon. But what I really want us to think is not so much how fast this thing goes, but really give yourself to this journey of prayer. Listen to this. Think about this. If prayer truly binds divine activity with human activity, if prayer really blurs heaven and earth, if prayer is some sort, Derek, of a convergence, then heaven might very well become, KP, the activity of earth. What might your place of work look like, even if you work for the church? What might your place of work look like? You begin to see heaven converge with earth. What might, Deb, our language sound like? If the language of heaven converges with the language of earth, and I know the temptation here. The temptation here is to say, Jake, that is not reality. That is like the sitcoms of the 80s and 90s, and that's not real life. I don't think I'm talking about whitewashing. I want to be clear here, James. I don't don't think I'm talking about putting on a smile and putting on a face and making sure your hair is parted in a certain way and your face is very clean-shaven and that you come across as a respectable person. We're seeing images of that all over the news this week, and that does not necessarily mean the character of the heart is defined by the person who wears a nice comb-over. I'm not talking about whitewashing here. I think this exact opposite of what I'm talking about. You can't make yourself look this way. You can talk like a Christian. You can act like a Christian. does not mean you are a Christian, right? My dad used to say, any more than going into McDonald's makes you a hamburger. I was thinking about that analogy. I was thinking, what would happen to my body if I ate McDonald's every day? I... There is a documentary about that. That's right. That's right. I think I've heard the title of it, Supersize Me. So, Emily, so let's just stick on that point for a second here, all right? And again, I told you, I'm not a teacher, so I'm sorry for the, like, hunky, you know, discombobulation here. But Emily, let's stick on that for a second. So, if walking into McDonald's won't make me a hamburger, what will it make me, though, if I eat McDonald's every day? Not just for 30 days, like supersize me, but what if I ate McDonald's every day? I'm 35, so maybe I've got 35 more years to live, maybe more, right? So for the next 35 years, I eat nothing but McDonald's. What would I be? Would I be a hamburger? No, but I would look something like, 
<laughs> right? I, I would be what? Formed. I would be shaped by it. Hmm. So you can come into church. <laughs> I would be a circle. You're right, Josh. <laughs> Joshua. Right. <laughs> hey, someone's following. It's the other hyperactive kid in here that's following. We get each other, Josh. We get each other. All right. So, no, I don't think that you can come into church and just play the part, right? But I tell you, if you're praying every day, go back to John 6. If you're eating of the bread of life every day, certainly, Kevin, that does something to you. If you're gathering in groups of people that dance together, <laughs> that's what happened at the mains last night as we celebrated 10 years. There's a small group of us from the church that danced together. It was one of the most holy displays of the Christian church I've seen. We just had fun. That does something to our children that were there, doesn't it, Sarah? It does something to our children. My, my, my daughter woke up this morning singing the songs that we sang last night. It changes us. Imagine if we ate together. Imagine if we did more than just a monthly gathering. What if we gathered all the time and ate together? Imagine if we continued to share our resources as we already do, but we began to do it wider, not with just the people that came into our church, but with the people in our community that needed it. What if we began just to live our faith every day with one another and the others outside here? Don't you think that would begin to shape us? that that would begin to change us. One of the lines that, that James uses here is a line that such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. Sorry, so time out. Stop that. It's the, second, it's the second sentence of verse 16. The earnest prayer of a righteous person. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And just prior to that, he's talking about bringing the, the sick into a community, and we would lay hands on you. Who's laying hands on who? The righteous, those who believe in faith, those who believe in prayer, are laying hands on those that are sick. And it, and it made me think of about 10 years ago when I was in seminary, and I went to a church that reminds me so much of you. The church was called Kansas City Trinity a church of the Nazarene. It was on Rainbow Boulevard right across the street from KU Med. And uh, Jenny and I worshiped there for some time. And there was a lady there whose name was Janet. And she was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, she came forward. And uh, remember, do you remember the Sunday Janet said that she had cancer? Well, you can imagine it was a small community like this. It would be about a room this size. And be someone like Rochelle <laughs> coming forward and saying, I've got cancer. Well, it'll rock us to our core, right? And it'll rock that church to the core. And I remember that our immediate response, we had been formed in a way of praying, John. We had been formed that there was no question what we were going to do. I think our community would do the same thing. I don't even know, Shelly, if we were asked to do it. We just all stood up and we came forward and we began to lay hands on Janet. Well, at this time in my journey, I wasn't sure if I believed in Jesus or not. But there was something powerful about watching the righteous 
who did not have scientific answers to how all this worked, but instead had faith. And they reached out, and one hand extended to the other hand extended. You couldn't tell where the line started or where it stopped. You couldn't honestly tell who we were praying over. We just saw all of these hands extending over one another. And this image that James uh, says for us, man, there's nothing more powerful than a righteous person praying and bring the sick to the community and we'll lay our hands on you. To me, seems so much like the convergence of heaven and earth. All the hands of church history, all the hands of all of those faithful pastors. Yes, there's been some unfaithful ones, but let us not whitewash that either. Not every pastor, not every Catholic minister is a predator. And not every pastor is a thief-stealing lowlife. Some of them are, yes. I hope I am not one. Imagine church history being an extension of those that are faithful and true. Hands from the time Christ was to the time Christ will be extended throughout all of history, praying for us. The convergence of heaven and earth. Let me, let me carry on here. I like the way that the message translates this passage. The message says this way, the prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. James is acknowledging something that's very important here. This is the importance of prayer right here. (laughs) That the righteous and the faithful have something more powerful than human resources could ever provide. Those that pray every day, those that are formed in the faith every day, those that give themselves to the word and to the living uh, like Jesus and to bearing the image of God, you are a power to be reckoned with. And so James is implicitly acknowledging something that needs to be said, is that prayer only makes sense if it can affect change. Why else would James be talking through a book about doing stuff and end it with prayer? If prayer was not enough, then he would not have ended his book with it. That mantra that we get on Twitter when something bad happens and they come say prayer's not enough, that's wrong. That's just a lie. That's not right. Maybe the way we've prayed is not right. I think what James is saying here is that the one in which we are praying to is so powerful, is so sovereign, that to pray to him means for things to change. So if you're also hearing me say here that what we should do as a church is not be socially active, that also is wrong. No, we must be socially active. I'm going to get to that in a minute. (laughs) We have to be. Not because it's the cool millennial thing to do, but because our God is active. But how do we know which, how do we know how to be socially active? This is it. Pay attention to who you're praying to. James is saying to us that prayer only makes sense if it can affect change. And so James reveals that his faith is in God's sovereignty to hear prayer and to respond in action. That when we pray, it does not go to the upper corner of our bedroom and die in silence. No, that when you pray, when you pray in your exhaustion, when you pray in your sorrow, and you pray in your anger, and you pray in your desperation, 
and you turn on Fox News and you pray in your anger and you turn on CNN and you pray in your desperation. We have to know that God hears that prayer. And not only is God hearing the prayer, but you say to him, God is in the midst of acting. So to say that prayer does not evoke action is also wrong. Church, if all we do is sit here, then we're not really praying, are we? Could you imagine communities, Lisa, that ate together, that devoted together, that prayed together more than just on a Sunday morning, but that consistently gathered? Maybe we danced together more often. I'm not talking about just being serious. Maybe we live life together. Don't you think that's going to affect the way we speak? Don't you think it's going to affect the way we act? I would certainly hope it would affect the way that we engage in the community of Lee Summit and that we engage as citizens of the United States of America. I would hope that it would change us. Okay, okay, move on. Let's just get in nuts here. So who do we pray to? Well, we pray to the sovereign God. Eric, I just want to say, I've got to get through this one real fast because I could get fired after these three sentences, okay? Just remember, I'm super tired, okay? <laughs> Does that justify saying stuff that makes people angry? Claiming God is sovereign means that God alone is sovereign. Think about it. Think about the term sovereign. If God's sovereignty is shared... then God is not sovereign. If sovereignty is shared, then nothing is sovereign. God is not sovereign. Now listen here real carefully. God is not sovereign if God is only sovereign over some things, but not all things. So for instance, if God is sovereign over the soul. So all things pertaining to salvation, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If God is sovereign over that but is under the sovereignty of a nation state, then God is not sovereign. This makes the Christian confession that God alone is sovereign and not Caesar. Or God alone is sovereign and not whomever is running the United States. It doesn't matter who's running the United States. God is never underneath that leader, ever, ever, never. He is never under the Supreme Court, ever. Not one time, not in any instance, not in all of human history, God is never underneath the sovereignty or the speech of our government. And that's not because I have a, a bone to pick. No, it's that lean into Scripture and realize we become a whole new community. My point, sorry. Inherently, we become a political community. I'm not saying that to be true Christians, all we need to do is just separate ourselves and pray and not ever have it. No, I think if we separate ourselves to pray... If we participate in that contemplation, then we will be sent out into action, which inherently will make us political because we have one president. Do you know what his name is? Jesus Christ. That is the same term as king. 
He is our King, Lord of Lords. Only the Lord is sovereign. Yes, friends, we should never get into a place in whom I tell you to vote for. Church is not political in that way. But if we give ourselves to the formation of Christian scripture, we inherently will have something to say to our governments about who is king and who is Lord and how we speak and how we tell the truth and how we live with integrity and how we don't lie every other breath. Surely, there ought to be a way to live in this world that is reflective of true Christian faith. And so, what does it mean? What does it mean to pray to a sovereign God whose promises in heaven converge with realities on earth? Have any of you been watching the Supreme Court nomination in the hearings this week? I just want to be clear, and if you haven't, that's fine. I just want to be clear that I really believe that our faith actually impacts the way that we live. So imagine with me. What would it mean for God's behavior to converge with the behavior that we've seen in Washington this week? Would it be exactly the same or would it be different? How might it be different? The nature of things. Would the speech be the same or would the speech be different? Would the tone be the same or would the tone be different? Would the posture be the same or would the posture be different? Would the motivations be the same or would the motivations be different? Regardless of which side you fall on, what would happen if the sovereign God, the ruler of all, if our confession that he alone is king, that he alone is president, if his nature converged, if his heart converged into that room, how might it change things? We might see God's will on earth being done as it is in heaven. There's football on. We ain't got time for this last Last deal. You all, we might be out like early. Okay. Oh, it is tomorrow night, isn't it? Okay. So what does prayer do to community? <laughs> I love you all. Thank you for being loose with me today. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, the importance of prayer. <laughs> importance of prayer is that it forms us. Who we pray to is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Right? God alone is sovereign. Hmm. Guys, that's, a he that's heavy. Just that. I need to go on. So what prayer, what does prayer do to a community? Well, I think you should have two points up there. Prayer binds God's will to our will. So that means, Sam, what God wants becomes what we want. Just imagine where you work and where you go to school. What you see and what you observe, would you say, Sam, that that's what God wants? Maybe in some aspects, but in all aspects? What would happen? I'm not talking about whitewashing. I'm not talking about what God wants in our schools is that no one says a cuss word and everyone holds hands and skips together. That's the pictures that we got in churches in the 50s and 60s, and that's not necessarily accurate. I think what God wants is peace and justice and righteousness. I think what God longs for is equality. Now, is equality happening in our culture? Imagine that God's will, the will of equality, would become our will. What happens in prayer? Oh, 
that our heart converges with the heart of God. The second point, man, and this is the most important here. I don't know why I'm getting like, so I'm not angry. (laughs) Our bodies are bound to God's body. How is God's body described in Scripture? Jesus Christ. How is our body described in Scripture? The church. So be careful what you say about the church. Yes, the organization may be broken. This very organization may have holes in it. I'm the leader of it. Trust me, it does. We're working on it. But in prayer, oh, even this broken organization becomes bound with the flesh of Jesus Christ so that God's will, His heart, as it is defined in Genesis 1 and 2, God's heart can become my heart heart so that my speech can look like the very same speech of the God who speaks in Genesis 1. And that my flesh, and that our flesh, and that our lives together can begin to look like the lives of Jesus Christ, who knew no inequality, who did not know injustice. Could you imagine if our little tribe of people meaning this room of 60 folks, our little body, begin to pump blood like God and have flesh like Jesus. I'll just add a third one in there and begin to move like the Spirit. Could you imagine? All right. I like to switch the message translation of James 5.16 from person to community. I think you can see it. The prayer of a community Living right with God is something for Lee Summit to pay attention to. You know we have a lot of resources at our hands, right? Could you imagine if we landlorded, is that a word? If we, if we landlorded like God's heart and we treated our tenants like Jesus Christ? Do you realize how much power we have to send a message to 60 people? We might be 60 and we might think we're small, but no, folks, we have a chance to do something magnificently huge and that is put on display for a 100,000-person civic community what it looks like to do business as Jesus Christ with God's heart and the movement of the Spirit. Church, what we have the potential to do, not the potential, the opportunity to do, isn't just for me and Megan and James and Jody and Trisha and Dwayne to figure and Rex to figure out. It's for us. Could you imagine what this community could look like with God's heart and Jesus' flesh? So James confesses that God is near to those who are near to him. It's an often quoted passage out of uh, James that God is near to those who are near to him. Well, what might that mean? I like that. That was real hard to do on PowerPoint. Not at all. (laughs) If we're near to heaven, then heaven is near to us. And there becomes a cross-section and a convergence. I hope that for some of you, this is causing you to think about prayer totally different today. James helps us see that prayer actually changes us and changes our communities. That middle section right there where the cross is, Where do you think Jesus lives his life in the convergence of heaven and earth? 
So if Jesus is God's body and the church is the body of Jesus, where do you think we are in that picture? So this is my hope. Next slide here. That the intersection of heaven and earth would reveal the real Christian work. That the call to extend God's life and future to the wandering and to the lost. That this place, guys, that your home, that your family. So let's, let's, let's talk about personal application, then we'll talk about community application. That your home. Whether you live with someone or you live by yourself, or whether you're old like me or young like Adley. Oh, man, I am praying for you. I am praying for us, Joshua. That your little farm would be a place where new tongues and new hearts, new actions, and a whole new way of doing community can converge right there in your little farm, Joshua. That the way that you speak to your brother might look a lot like Christ. And Lizzie, that the way that you love Liam, you already, you, you love Selah enough already. Nah, you can never love someone enough. But the way that you treat your siblings, Sammy, would begin to reflect the heart of God and the flesh of Jesus Christ. Now let's apply this to us as a community. And I would ask that, uh, Drew, you can get ready here. Band can get ready. What if this place became a place where the civic community around us begin to see new speech, new actions? And by new, what I mean is new creation, actions that look like Jesus, speech that looks like Jesus, a community that looks like Jesus. Church, last thing that I'll say today is that God has given me clarity on who we're going to become. And it's okay if it's awkward. I have, and maybe you're with me, I have absolutely zero patience anymore for a place that looks like a church. I've been watching all week political leaders from both sides of the aisle that look like leaders, clean-shaven like leaders, fancy clothes like leaders. They look like everything I've been told is a political leader, but they're acting both sides of the aisle here. Absolutely both sides of the aisle. You tell me, what are they acting like? Tell me, Joshua. Yeah, yes they are. And they're acting very immature. I am not interested in a community that looks like a church, that has the best music program, that has the most polished pastor, that has greeters that extend out to the street. I mean, I think that would be cool, but. Whatever it is that you think that we ought to look like, not that you think we should. I'm just telling you that God has given me clarity on something. And that is, church, I long for us to be people that are formed with new tongues. That the way that we speak to each other, whether we grow to a thousand or not, I don't care. It's God's church. He'll do what he wants. It's that we would begin to speak differently to one another. I think we speak fine to one another, but more formation, more Christian speech. But the way that we steward our space, the way that we steward our money, the way that we spend our money would be different. The way that we spend our time would be formed like Christ. That's what I long for us. And so if you're looking for a performance on Sunday morning, I think that I'm officially resigning to that. I just don't think I can do that. 
This is not who God called me to be. What I long for is that we have pure and contrite hearts and that we don't go out into this world just looking the part. What does a Christian look like anyways? Get your forehead tattooed. I don't care. Go out with a heart that looks like Christ, that pumps blood like God, a body that moves like the Spirit. Father, thank you for this word this morning. Thank you so much for New Beginnings Church. Thank you for your sanctification of this body of people since 1991. God, thank you. You have not forsaken us. You have not forgotten us. You have not turned your back on us. Lord, you are filling us with your spirit. And in some ways, God, you're saving us from ourselves. Lord, here is our heart, all of our heart. Oh, Lord, may you transform us through the ways that we pray to you and the ways that we gather in you and the ways that we dedicate our whole life to you. Father, may you transform this place. Transform these people. Transform your leaders, your church boards, your pastors, your admin help. God, transform us all that we look like you, speak like you, talk like you, act like you. Yes, God, all of us. In your name we pray. Amen. So how do we do that? Well, part of the way is we participate in the Lord's Supper.